Welcome to the shit show of my 20s. My name's Sophia, and I am so glad you're here. I am a 20-something in my early 20s, and I was going through my fair share of shit show moments, and I'm sure there's more shit show moments to come. So much fun. But it's while I was going through these moments, I was realizing I'm probably not the only 20-something who feels this way. So I decided to start this podcast back in 2020, and it's been incredible. And I love interviewing these inspiring people. And I hope that through these stories, you're able to see yourself in these stories. And it would mean the absolute world to me if you would share it with a friend as well as leave me a review on iTunes. It makes a huge difference. I put so much time and energy into this podcast and it would mean the world to me. So without further ado, let's get started. Today's guest is Vinny. I love chatting with him. Vinny is a Emmy award-winning media brand advisor, personal brand strategist, and content coach. He is also the creator of I Have a Podcast, curator of indie podcast platform, IHaveAPodcast.com, and host of I Have a Podcast on TV. His passion to inspire talent opportunities into impact has driven Vinny and his team at VPE talent to become well-trusted connectors who sell, develop, produce, launch, distribute, while amplifying some of the most impactful original series and talent brands in modern pop culture. As a talent vision network talent executive at MTV, he pioneered the way for talent and artists to claim control of their narrative by making them host stars and even producers of their own hit series. Having launched some of the most successful talent brands and modern pop culture, Vinny continues to develop talent and talent-led projects and is an active member of the National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences. In this episode, we go into so many incredible things from why he decided to get into the entertainment industry, how he was able to get into the entertainment industry, what he looks for in talent, as well as how to grow a podcast, and so much more. So excited for you guys to hear this episode. Let's get started. So thank you so much, Vinny, for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to getting to know you. So I'd love to start. Tell me about your 20s. Feel free to include any shit show moments you might resonate with. Oh Let's gosh. start there. Oh my God. By the way, the shit show of my 20s is that comes to life is called TRL. Uh, to be honest, uh, I was an executive at MTV, a casting and talent executive. And then long story short, I got to sort of cast the VJs and that evolved into casting the films and that evolved into working with celebrities as hosts and that evolved into reality TV and then that evolved but i think of the shit show of my 20s as trl heck yeah like 3 30 to 4 30 it was so cool i mean I'll, I'll say one thing out of the gate if you have the ability to work on a hit series if being in this industry is something that's of, of interest to you working it sounds like dumb advice but do anything you can to work on a hit series it, it is so different than <laughs> the rest of of what the entertainment industry experiences which to be honest is usually development or you know once seasons, two seasons, you know, maybe a couple of episodes, a film here or there, you know, sort of gig to gig economy. But you work on a hit series, the people that I work with, <laughs> that's the way I think about this now, the people that Mike, like I shared a pit with are the executive producers of Watch What Happens Live with Andy Cohen, the executive producers of The Hills, Laguna Beach, and Selling Sunset. And like, a biz- I can go on and on. And- so just working on a hit show, and, and I'm so lucky to pre-digital in a very analog way, arrive to MTV in the late 90s and I knew how to record take two VCRs and wire them so I can edit onto VCRs which um, was something that they hadn't figured out yet fully you know in in the offices at MTV and I actually when I when I started working there went around and and, and helped make these connections but it was really I was in, interested in data management I was interested in the tech side of you know I was interested in the tech side of media because it's always the most well air conditioned part <laughs> of the media so you know you gotta, gotta be careful about that by the way you don't want to spend all your sweaty days in front of people not looking your best but and then long story short that sort of turned into as you say this should show up my 20s <laughs> definitely is i feel bad now that i say that trl was an amazing show the osborne's punked is also a show of my 20s like that was fun to to really get to lean on real relationships like ashton would not punk somebody if, if they were in on it so like there was real authenticity at osborne newlyweds with jessica and nick and i mean that's what i mean work work on hits bona fide hits if you can if you have the opportunity anything you can't 
I, I actually I actually would work for free. I brought, and I, I did. I started this industry working for free because I was like, yes, I wanna, yeah, I wanna do that. Yeah, I need that on my resume. Yeah, that's yes, that's gonna get me to the next spot that I'm looking to get to. But I love that question, the shit show of my 20s. But I was so lucky to be on MTV at a point where people were watching television and television could create a space for community and not just an audience. You know, like every network had an audience. MTVs felt like a community. It felt like multiple audiences. By the time I got to MTV in the late 90s, it felt like multiple audiences merging. And that's what what? we're having hip hop, top 40, rock, classic. I mean, MTV, MTV2, MTV3, MTVU, and they started breaking out, you know, the verticals. And it really was about community. And I got spoiled. And and I use LinkedIn, by the way, to stay in touch with everybody. So I, I, I laugh because like I, on, on the Beyonce recently came out with an album and like my update on LinkedIn was to her dad, Matthew Knowles, who's like, I'm like, that's so cool. Like, just, there you are on LinkedIn for business. The Jonas's dad, I always talk to Kevin Jonas's dad. Kevin Jonas is, is, is Joe Jonas's dad, Joe Simpson's. Um, it's fun. It's fun what's going on on LinkedIn. But anyway, that was a shit show of my 20s and, and I had a lot of fun and, and I got to grow with gigantic talent that superseded any imagination of what I thought we were creating back then. And 20 years later, I have to say it's, it's even more special to me and more impactful now. Those those steps I took 20, probably even 25 years ago, if you do the math, you know, a long time ago, they just feel they felt so small and insignificant, but the space was so much smaller. And I realize now how, how much heavier those footsteps were because we really changed pop culture. Got to really add some names to the lexicon that, that showed up for us. I, I like that. Mm. And I'm curious if you had to break it down to one major growth moment, probably yeah. hard in the moment of your 20s, what would that one moment oh, be for you? For sure. So in my tw- so when I was 20, I went to something called the Landmark Forum. Are you at all familiar with it? No. It's sort of like a, it's like a self-help, a weekend thing. You go for a very long period of time and they throw a lot at you and they get in your mind. And Long story short, I learned that <laughs> we're really bad storytellers innately and that most of us tell stories in a way where we are the victims and not the heroes. And I thought I was so unique. I thought I was just such that I'd been bullied, you know, and, and some people would say, well, everyone gets, you know, bullied. I just want to point out there's a difference between getting teased and getting bullied. Like I was bullied. So I had a lot of things to sort of work through. But claiming my own narrative, this idea of like, what? I could just change, change my, it seemed like a lie. Like it seemed almost like, not to say too good to be true, but just like not the way I, I didn't feel like I would earn it. I, I felt like I didn't work hard enough. I didn't want to just wake up and say I'm a casting director. But sure enough, I went back to Wagner College and I said, I'm a casting director now because it just changed my reality. And now, so actually I thought to myself, well, what's now what? So I went to backstage and I took out an ad and I said, I'm a new casting director looking for headshots for actors looking to be submitted for commercials and television opportunities because I was looking for those opportunities. And if I have them, then it would make my job easier. And also I'd be able to bring that, you know, them along with me. I got like over 500 headshots sent to me at school. It was like, I think like the miracle of 34th Street with Santa Claus and like the UPS comes in with like buckets full of like mail. I was like, all these eight by tens are like, this is more mail than like students go to my college. I went to a very small school. Like this is more, it felt big. And my reaction was create a database. I, I have a data engineering programming background and, and coding and Microsoft Excel and, and organizing digitally just makes sense to me. So the first thing I did was create a database. And that database, the, the act of making that database allowed me to bulk email, organize, keep my notes. And I, I was doing something that I didn't realize in the future we would all take for granted, you know, recording these notes digitally so we can share them and go back to them and grow them. And what this a modern CRM, you know, tool back then is what I was trying to sort of create for myself. And I worked at Credit Suisse First Boston and a couple of other execs in the industry that you know, finance and TV execs kind of hang out. And I was kind of like the database guy and the databases got me into casting. And then I had to, you know, meet people to keep filling into the databases. And I was like, this is cool because I'm just surrounding myself with talent and I'm getting people in my databases. And that's like my goal. It's so weird to say database. That's so weird. And then when I got to MTV, they were like, we're thinking of creating the talent development department. You know, you'd be the first person, the second person would hire. My boss was a, was a man named Rod Asa, my mentor, my best friend in the entire world. Rod Asa, who's currently the head of programming, uh, unscripted programming at NBC School. Universally, I think is, is the term. And it was just then. It was that idea of how, you know, what bad storytellers we are. <laughs> 
the ability that we have to make the change and then the steps to go take them. And I took my experience straight to MTV with my little databases and my VCR programming and all the things that I felt, you know, added value to, you know, my offering. And I didn't even realize like the number one thing that I really brought with me was we can change our narratives. If we change our narratives and we record it and then we air it, we'll change reality. I changed my life. That wasn't changing your perception of my reality. But by airing it, by displaying those changes, by showing you the conscious moves that I make, it informs you of decisions that I've made, which changes your perception of my reality and sort of hence reality TV. And it was it was so cool to be at a platform like MTV that just made space for storytellers. I, I think it's such hate for like, ah, I don't play music videos anymore. I'm like, wait, wait, so listen, music videos were created because we wanted to create storytelling in a new medium and we gave license to artists to expand the song and add video to it. And like, when I say we, I mean MTV, not we, but like MTV, MTV created music videos for the music video network. They actually paid the labels to offset the cost of videos and, and that stopped once AOL Music and all the other networks came out and boom, so it became more competitive. So but MTV like literally created like a, a, a media medium, you know, video, music videos really to think of. I mean, there's been live performance of it and just leaving space for the, for the storytellers to create the Osbournes about a family, a very awkward, functionally non-functioning family who can't relate to that. If, if you're not that family on the block, then you know them. I was that family on the block, so I could really, I could relate, you know, but Nick and Jessica, I couldn't relate to Nick and Jess. I never had like necessarily friends like Nick and Jess. My, I never saw wealth like that where, where I was from in Staten Island. I mean, I just didn't, you know, that they were a little bit, but I was so enthralled in their, their relationship and their goal to have individual goals and a collective goal. And, and watching them work together on that was, was it was work, <laughs> obviously, because <laughs> how things panned out. We got a great show, which means there was a lot of action for us to like soak up and absorb. And, and ultimately, Nick, I mean, Nick and Vanessa Lachey, that's amazing. Vanessa Manillo, like I love, this is the, that's the best. And then, you know, just her billion dollar brand and gorgeous family and super healthy family. And, and it was just cool to be a part of that. But but I got to see these people change their lives, change their stories. And it, and it always goes back to that moment where I was like, oh wait, I'm, I'm the victim in my story and I could be the hero. Like this is like, this is mind blowing to me. <laughs> wow, I love that. Cause it seems like you're like, I'm not gonna wait for like this opportunity to work at MTV. Like I'm gonna actually create the steps. So they actually want me and I'm actually able to provide value to them versus just waiting around for something to happen. And I'm curious, like going back, like why entertainment? Like what was like the thought process or like when did that kind of click for you of like, I know I'm going to get into entertainment. I don't know how necessarily, but I know I'm going to end up there. Oh, so um, I have goosebumps. I've never, I've never even got to talk about something like that. Uh, there, there was power in TV, you know, growing up, I'm the oldest of six now. Growing up, I was the oldest of four in, in a single parent household. And the TV was a lot to us. I grew up in the night, you know, I, I was born in the late seventies, but I kind of say I grew up in the nineties. I, I watched Fox news get created and then ultimately get turned into the political machine that it's it turned into. And I've seen CNN do the same. I got to see MTV. You know, it was mind blowing to me that like you can add a, 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 a single number to the cable lexicon and have a new channel. Now imagine, you know, billions, <laughs> billions of channels later, you'll know exactly how I feel about how expansive this audience was. But there was power in putting images in front of people, putting words in front of people. It, sometimes it's not about, for me, sometimes it's not about the message. Sometimes it's about the vibe or a single character in an entire ensemble series, but the single character is the reason why I show up. And I can think of so many shows where where I fought real, not fought, but you know, d dug my foot, feet down deep and followed my gut and really connected with people to show how vulnerable we could be. And there's, I don't know, vulnerability on TV was either in the news or like Howard Stern was kind of like a version of vulnerability, I guess, on TV. I, I knew we could do different. And I never thought I would work at MTV. MTV to me was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, when I started working at MTV in the 90s, I told people I worked on Broadway. Like I was like, yeah, it's on Broadway. I just work on Broadway. It's like 1515 Broadway, but like, you know, where all the kids go outside and they scream in front of the windows and kind of have cable TV. I don't know. Television isn't, you know, finance and, and fashion are the top two industries in New York. So it's like not even, I knew not a single person in it. And, and as I told you, I have a 
I'm like a data engineer. I thought I was like going to be like this building. I was building websites, you know, like that was kind of like the the goal. See, creating, building CPUs and building websites was kind of like my hustle back. I just loved, I love, and I love being, and to be honest, I love being surrounded by talent. I think that, I don't know how to, it's, it's a really bad description, but I call it a mirror sponge. I don't know why, but I feel like I absorb these skill sets and talents of the people I surround myself with. And it becomes a version of me. And I, I'm telling you, I think I'm funnier when I'm with comedians. I think I sing better when I'm with singers. I think I'm more politically astute when I'm surrounded by people who are in politics and, and can have a solid conversation. You know, I really do feel, and, and I've realized now that word might, that might be empathy, that there might be a lot of other words now that we have in our modern vocabulary that help us instantly think, connect to what that, the gut feeling, you know, really is that we're feeling. But I got all that in entertainment. And I was lucky to work at MTV for 10 years in the beginning part of my career where I, and I didn't do this on purpose, but like where I networked with everybody and was nice to everybody because we were just so happy to be there in an air conditioned studio. <laughs> you don't know what it's like casting Real Housewives of Jersey when you got to drive around Northern Jersey, all these houses. It's very, it's very difficult. <laughs> Woe is me. But that's what it was. And it was, and, and also as a gay white man, there was not a lot of out LGBT recognized, you know, faces on any networks. Even when I got to MTV, there were people who had made a conscious decisions not to bring their personal lives on camera to be really honest we weren't protected we didn't have protection you know companies could fire us based on on sexuality when, during the time that i was working at a publicly traded company Viacom, culture was not you know conducive to to that and i thought there was a window and and i think i got in at a really cool time where to be really honest i think the and i kind of fell into the circle at viacom there was like the circle of people that specifically dug their feet in and if we couldn't get the yes then we would just keep at it year after year to make culture happen to make change happen and i don't miss it now because it's not what it used to be you know i'm like she different that's not who i used to date she like she changed <laughs> you know but back then i mean it, she was just like i say she it's so funny i feminize mtv but she was like just she's the smart you know why because judy mcgrath was our president and Ju i think of mtv i think of judy who was a graphic designer for mtv when mtv first launched and then she became like the coolest CEO and leader and manager. When I say cool, I mean, just like the most approachable. I mean, here I'm singing show tunes, you know, coming down the thing and she's chiming in and, and then she'll give me a little pipe it down, Vinny, kind of. But but it was just I was surrounded by geniuses. And, and I think, again, I got to MTV in the late 90s. Culturally, things were happening that hadn't happened until then. I had more female executives ever, more black female executives than ever. The diversity was on the, the top of every single conversation I ever had. So I was I was trained with that in mind. I think that drive that MTV had to no longer just be seen as a rock platform and to see truly as an inclusive platform for all genres of music, like that's, you know, that was, that's, that was a cool time to be there. So entertainment, why? You know, like music videos, you know, I, I mean, like music videos made the news. It was like, new, you know, I thought that was, people care. And people talked about that stuff without even knowing. You talk about it in the locker mm -hmm. room, you talk about it in the hallways, you talk about it in school, you call her a Becky and we call, you know, that, you know, we have these like colloquial words that come, come from these things. And I kind of, I like that. I can put the, those images out there. And I, I didn't go to MTV because of reality TV, because that, I mean, real world was already there, but I, that wasn't on my radar. What our job at MTV was to do was to have relationships with talent that we could develop. What that turned into was, hey, everyone kind of wants to have a camera on them and they're willing to open their lives up and they're willing to narrate, you know, their lives, even if they have to give up edit rights, <laughs> which, which now you don't have to. <laughs> thank you, podcasting. Thank you, social media. Thank you decentralized everything <laughs> it's a good time to be a creator i'll tell you you own podcasts you own i mean you, it's intellectual property in 2006 i did a show a, a fat man scoop uh, and his wife then were creating a podcast called uh, man and wife and i was at hot 97 with them and they, they brought me into the booth and they, they played it for me they were so excited i said this is cool but i have to be honest i don't know why i'm saying this and i don't know where and i this is how i phrased a lot of my ideas i'm like this is don't listen to me but here's the thought this is the return i think that this would be you have the equipment to do this scoop like back then having access to equipment in 2006 was a big deal so if you have access to a, a microphone why don't you throw a microphone on your bed and like i kind of want to hear the springs 
in your bed and like, yo, like this is like a real man and wife conversation about sex and you're in your intimate space. I don't think I want to hear you going to a sound booth and like talking about it this way. But I couldn't wrap my head around podcasting fully then. I was still thinking like, you know, immersive content and like there's like spatial audio that really informs the conversation. You know, all of a sudden when the spring, you know, a little awkward silence, but that spring moves and you know, there's like uncomfortable movement happening there. You know, that's I love that. I love the nonverbal. But anyway, to answer your question, and I, and I get all that in entertainment, all that in entertainment. Finance didn't give me that opportunity, but entertainment. And I tried, tried really hard. I was like, I'm in New York. I got to be in finance, but it didn't work out. <laughs> mm, I love that. And I'm curious, like when you like discover someone and you, you can like feel the talent and then like you could tell that like they're going to go far. I'm curious if there was anyone that you saw that with that maybe everyone else didn't see it or like everyone else thought like, why are you seeing that in this person? Like if you have any stories like that yeah if you were able to prove them wrong i'm, I'm always curious like what the thought process wait you're asking is. the best question do you know my answer to this already no sometimes you can see something right that someone else can't yeah. see so yeah, i'm yeah. wondering and, and and i'm gonna share the story because he shares this story often but when it came time to cast a host for the challenge on mtv i knew it was time for an athlete to be in i, I knew it had to be some type of athlete in that spot they, they kind of were leaning towards some cast members and some other sort of like personality types and, and, and my my informed opinion and decision at the time was there's nothing there's no sports on our network I've, I'm getting pitched every single day athletes that I, I don't have rock and jock music festivals or any of those things anymore it's so weird to say this men aren't watching MTV anymore they're now watching MTV2 or ESPN2 which was like a brand new network back then so it was like just weird to think of the, the migration of audiences uh, moving and TJ Lavin out of the gate was somebody well first off first it was Johnny Mosley and then Dave Mira God rest his soul uh, it needed to be Johnny Mosley it needed to be Johnny Mosley first for two reasons one because the executive that I work with who's the head of production for that show from the MTV side is a skier so like you got to speak her language so like getting a skier I thought would be that's the way in definitely and he had just host he just hosted SNL so he was in like New York that week come to MTV you get you know it was a nice story I love the story and like so we got we get the relish in that. but he's an athlete which means he's got to go do his thing in the winter so I had to go find like a summer athlete which led me to Dave Mira his bike ride you know biking is definitely you know a summer sport so at, at back then even and and Dave did two seasons uh, his athletic career really was really picking up in a way that couldn't drop you know when you host the challenge you go there for like a month and a half and you stay in that country for you do nothing but ho you know and the host is kind of awkward because the kids get to do everything in the show and then you've got to do your part but you can't interact with them but anyway or, or they didn't then which led me to, with, to TJ and TJ always talks about this because because and I never told him the story but the the executive producer of the show a great friend of ours and one of his best friends for sure told him this which I was surprised but there was a there was someone that he he wanted that was not you know TJ and TJ out of the gate for me was someone that I thought was athletic also TJ and I had this really cool moment I, I mentioned rock and jock you know a long time ago MTV did these things called rock and jock and we would go to Vegas and Tony Hawk would jump out of like a helicopter and land on a half pike and I don't know all these like weird things we would do these weird things a fun weird time but for some reason we oh, oh and tj had a really cool backyard that he had like made some like a custom bike sort of track that he had made there so i think we were, we were shooting a segment there and we just had a really cool sort of interaction um i really admired him as an athlete I saw more than anything, every athlete that was there really admired him. And I noticed that. I know, like, you know, when you got to pick one person out of a million, you know, my trick is you kind of look at whoever everyone else is looking at. There's usually someone else in the crowd that everyone else is kind of looking at. And ultimately, we'll all pick it out. But my goal is to try to, so like, I'm thinking about how I cast Wanna Be a VJ in those those shows back then, you know, when you, so just just a little hint, by the way, like, if you're if you're ever auditioning for, like, American Idol or any of those things that, you know, you, you want the line around you to be cheering for you and championing you because those, those people definitely are, are marked I'm telling you now I'm telling you because I've done it but TJ and he said to me he goes Vin he goes you're awesome he goes but dude oh wait what was it oh he came to oh I know what it was he came to New York to my office and he goes dude he goes I'm so glad to see you have a rainbow flag up on here <laughs> I'm like why he's like because I didn't know if you were gay or not and I'm thinking you're just this is his words not mine I, now I feel stupid telling the story but he's like I just 
though you were too good looking, you're going to steal all the girls. And like, I need a bro like you. I need, I, I need somebody who to be my wingman. And you do, I just respect you so much. And I, it was like a weird conversation to have at work. As I said earlier, I was already sensitive about my sexuality then too for, for corporate reasons. But in that moment, I saw an ally. In that moment, I saw somebody who whatever rules, HR, whatever was supposed to be said or didn't said, it, everything that was said in that moment connected and came from the most genuine place. And I thought to myself, if, if this athlete is willing to have this conversation with me like this, then this athlete is going to be willing to help me have rights to marry who I want to have a family with and, and even more. And, and TJ and I, we cry about <laughs> what, like what this opportunity he's got sometimes because I think it's like 30 seasons later he's done. And, so, and, that, and now on CBS, even now even a, a global larger audience than you know ever before. So it's cool that he's kind of seen as like the guy, the challenge, you know, it's a, it's a mental challenge and a physical challenge for the 20 to 30 somethings. That's a big responsibility. And TJ has had his falls. He has had his near death experiences. He does not claim to be anything other than who he is. And just, I can go on and on and on about my bromance with TJ Lavin. But that was just like one, one person where I was like, no, I know I'm right on this one. I know, I know. And I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. And it's so cool. And that show has given me some of my best, literally my best friends. That show. Work on a hit. That's what I mean. I worked on a hit. I worked on that show early in its inception. And 25 years later, cast members, producers are a big part of my life. Mm. Big ups, TJ I Lavin. <laughs> I love that, man. <laughs> I love that. And like, okay, so you 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 notice who like everyone else is watching. You yeah. notice who everyone else is cheering on. What else do you notice? Oh, that's interesting. Laughter, humility, often, you know, even like the most serious journalists that I've gotten to work with and, and have gone on to be huge anchors at major networks bring levity at the right moments because they're not so lost in the minutia of nailing their performance, but they've accepted the facts, they've processed the facts, and now they're actually able to like personalize them humanize them you know eye contact so actually like you know wearing sunglasses during a casting call or something like that is something I would definitely recommend people don't do because there's a lot to be said about eye contact who, who are you watching and who's watching you so I, I think that's a big piece to it you know there's just, it's just overall energy but not until you start, sit down and, and meet with somebody you know for me uh, the hardest part in, in sort of reality casting is knowing that people are giving me presenting their hopefully presenting their best person forward and part of my job is to figure out like the whole picture. So in our process, like if, if we were casting and casting a house, say for example, for casting the Housewives of New Jersey, what I would do is I would take the woman through, we go through a tour through her house. It's literally MTV Cribs. Oh, this is cool. And I'm like, where'd you get that? What's that? Who gave you that? What's that all about? What's that? What's that? <laughs> I'm like a five-year-old. <laughs> What's that? What's that? What's that? Except I come with wine and I leave <laughs> with like lasagna. <laughs> There's some benefits. I really do though, by the way. Like they, I would I would leave very well fed. <laughs> Energy. Also, for me, it's really eye contact. My boyfriend and I will be watching TV, you know, these murder mysteries and who done it. And I'm like, liar. She's lying. Holy, look, she blinked like 10 times before she even finished that last verb. She cannot even, she, her body can't even get that out of her mouth. She's lying. Like lying. Or, or I worked on pregnant in heels and I had to find couples that were wealthy and kind of like were willing to be ridiculous and wanted to have fun with like, you know, pregnancy brain and, and fun requests. You know, the, if there's a high end concierge for pregnant women, well, how far can that go? You know, watching the body language between married couples. So that I always thought that was like, oh, you know, maybe I'm not going to put them on TV because I want this to work out and this might rock something and I want to be careful. And then sometimes I would meet people and I'd be like, oh, really? I'm, I'm going to put you, I'm, I'm going to call VH1. I'm going to get you right on oxygen. Okay. Old school oxygen background. Okay. I got you. <laughs> no problem with some of those people. But that's also me helping them serve their goals and their bigger, hopefully their, their bigger energy. Promise. I look for promise if that's it. If anything, I look for promise. I look for the possibility of what they can do. Consistency. Also, my last thing that I'll say is people who tend to make great reality personalities are people who are, make quick decisions and, and quick to act and slow to change. But they're willing to change, but they're slow to change because they're steadfast. They're willing to move quickly. And to be really honest, I take that with me, even as like a, an employee that to me turns into, translates into uh, responding to emails quicker. You know, why am I waiting to tomorrow when I can just get this done with right now part of me procrastinates sometimes because like I like being wanted and then the other part of me is like well dude you gotta 
get this this hot potato. You got to get this off your plate. And I'm a connector. So I'm like off my plate on someone else's. Even with reality TV shows, my, my, some a network exec said that I'm like the guy who walks into the network with a really cute puppy. And I'm like, it's a cute puppy. Here, it's for you. And then call me for its birthdays and send me photos. But if it pees on your carpet and it chews up your furniture, it's on you. <laughs> That's funny. (laughs) And I'm wondering, like, working with all this talent, is there, like, a universal theme you see in terms of, like, maybe, like, the way they show up on set, the way they show up in casting, their mindset? Do you see any, like, universal themes with them? Like, the ones who do really well in terms of casting, in terms of reality TV? Yeah, the people who have larger goals than getting on television. The people who use television as a springboard for their campaigns their tours, their albums, their books, their programs, their impact, you know, the way the way that they know how to make impact people. It's like the reality is it's, it's, it's weird to say because reality TV sort of is gated, you know, by television executives and, and, and television itself falls under the public sector of business because of, you know, the stock exchange and but it's also completely dictated by the advertising industry, which is also big companies on the stock exchange. So there's like this big company deal and push down and gate, you know, pressure us like what passes through the gate to get on TV. That's what I thought was so cool, specifically about just all social media in general is our ability to not have to pitch a show to a guy or a woman or somebody who doesn't get or doesn't believe that the audience is bigger or or where the audience doesn't have to be as big as it needs to be for TV, you know, for TV, because as I said, it's an advertising model. So it has to hit a certain amount of households. That's the business model of television is impression. So if it's not reaching the, the broadest, largest amount of audience or, or a saturating in, in a niche, you know, uh, obviously MTV is well known for 20 something, 18 to 24 year olds, I think uh, Nickelodeon and Disney obviously compete for the younger kids and Bravo and the 18 to 35 year olds sector does really well. We hear these, you know, Bravo has a highly educated, sophisticated viewer who, where like the median income of the household is over $200,000. So you'll see more like luxury commercials on which means that the content needs to match that advertising mandate and need because that's who they're targeting the audience for, which leads to this sort of, you know, leveled up version of Housewives. Also, that's just one channel in the NBC portfolio. There used to be Esquire. Esquire TV used to be, you know, a thing. Uh, Style Network used to be a thing. And but and the, the difference between those two networks was, was there was a place on television on Esquire where you can advertise to men and just men because of the Esquire brand. Most of television is is co-viewership, if anything, or female-leaning, female-dominant, or at least that's what I was taught, you know. Unless the numbers have shifted. I know they've gone down, but I don't know if they've separated. But I was taught that women control the remote control. So, and now, and men used to, men used to walk out of the room with housewives. So, you know what Bravo did? Bravo said every episode, we just need the husbands to do something. So, it's like, Joe, go out to the back and complain about, or, or you know, go down and play a po- I need a poker scene. I need a guy scene. I need a bibbidi-bop. You'll notice there's always like one thing. If you notice when you're watching, if you if you watch commercials, you know, between it, if you're not watching it on DVR, you'll see more male skewing commercials also. But I don't know. It's it's cool. It's, it's a cool time to be a creator, intellectual property. I mean, like, I think, again, Nick Cannon put his own money into Wild and Out. Ultimately, I mean, he obviously gets paid for episodes and he hosts it and everything like that, but he doesn't own it. now. Nowadays, you know, you own it. By the way, I'm thinking of this. In 2007, I brought LMFAO to VH1 and we got greenlit in the room we got greenlit a series which has happened like a handful of times to me the executive was like let's do it and everyone's like yeah we'll do the deal and they're like no no let's just do it let's like yes this is gonna work lmfao wouldn't close the deal because they wouldn't relinquish ownership and lmfao is and they're extremely smart uh, because of pedigree and, and tutelage and like the you know who his father is and being in the, in the music industry and uh, and knowing about rights and clearances and publishing and you know all, all that so they own everything and they created or produced everything but I was like, you're not going to do a reality show just because you're not. No one's ever going to let you own it. And then a couple of years later, Instagram came out finally. And I was like, oh, this is. But that's the coolest thing. That's the coolest thing. In 2007, after my 10 long years of MTV, TV was tight. You know, I, I felt like there was maybe like, what? I don't know. A finite amount of people that were creative in the in creative industry. The iPhone put millions of people into my industry in, in a heartbeat. And like in 2012, 2013, I, I really started leaning more into the digital side of it and loved helping people figure that out well, it's so interesting like your background like i find you fascinating <laughs> someone had to do it someone had to right you're like well, 
when I left MTV, they were so mean. When I left MTV, not mean, like, I don't know, some website thing, whatever. They were like, uh, Vinny Potestillo leaves, you know, the, the talent, whatever. The head of talent executive leaves MTV. So who's babysitting Lauren Conrad and Kristen Cavallari now? And I was like, is that what y'all think? Is that what you think I do? Because that's like kind of right. <laughs> like, you forget. There's a couple of other people I babysit there too, but... <laughs> Oh my gosh. It was a fun time and, and it got to be in a room with giants. And and to be honest, most of them women. Sharon Osbourne. I mean, I got to see a woman single-handedly change my entire career you know, with reality TV because she had a vision. MTV initially didn't get the idea. They passed on the Aussie reality unscripted documentary. Didn't make sense. But we've got them on an episode of Cribs, Jack and Kelly. And then we were like, now do you see it? Actually, I think originally Osborne's was going to be a, a cooking show because all the, all the action was kind of happening in the kitchen. And Ozzy liked the kitchen. So we were, I think we were like aiming for a cooking show maybe, but I don't know. It turned into what it turned into. But just to get to work with these people that made, you think on, on a million dollar level on you know, certain decisions can't get made or you're going too deep into something and there's no room to pivot. I learned opposite. And that, I'm, I'm so glad I did because it's helped me help big companies and small companies be successful. Ooh, my pups are burning. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm like, like from looking at like celebrities from like the outside looking in, what's something you think we get wrong about them? Something we get wrong? Probably just the amount of work. How about this? Every single day, celebrities are waking up and they're they're focused on their discoverability. They're still looking to get discovered. Every, and they know every single day they have to get rediscovered by the same super fans that already love them. And I think that that act, that, that idea of discoverability is something that some people who aren't in front of the camera feel like a very lonely path path and a very self-serving path and there's some shame, you know, involved in that and, and asking and wanting to be discovered almost. And I have to tell you the, the, the beautiful side of asking to be discovered. The hard part is exposure, but the, the beautiful side is the action. It's like if you're exposed, if, if you want to talk about entertainment, entertainment is exposure. So, so exposure without action is entertainment. Exposure with action is discoverability. I'm in a movie by my ticket. I, I'm starting a band by my concert, by my merch. What are other things? buy my merch and share my merch share my stories share my videos share my share your experience you know I, I think that discoverability is something that people think only happens to those of us who are don't have a spotlight on them every single day those teams even the Tom Cruises they're thinking how do I want to imagine this not how do I get discovered but how do I want to be discovered that's a powerful question to all my single friends out there especially the ones here in New York I will tell y'all if you are looking for a man who goes church who does not party then you should not be out at 3 a.m on a tuesday night looking for mr wrong <laughs> you're gonna find what you're looking for you're gonna find what you're looking for I i'm telling you in casting i'm going to tell you because either it's going to be the wrong decision or the wrong time i'll say it that way that's to me the that's the easiest way i like saying when those bumps in the road happen i, I blame everything on time by the way because time sure is fun. but but you have the power now to be placed under the nose of people who are looking for you know if if you're a podcaster and you're looking to stand out in podcast have you uploaded your so so IMDB, uh, the Internet Movie Database, owned by Amazon? Most of us know it as the place we go to see our TV and films and actors and Spielberg executive producers. Podcasting is a viable media for IMDB. So if you have a podcast, you are allowed to upload it as intellectual property, get executive producer credit. All of your entire team, your graphic design team, your editors, your entire team gets credits attached. Data that isn't out there, nowhere in the podcast verse does this data live anywhere else than probably on IMDB. All of your guests get pegged to each of your episodes, which means if you go to my IMDb page and scroll down, you'll see that I was on this podcast. So as a form of discoverability, it's ridiculous and something I love helping people with. Also, I'm passionate about this tip. I use a server, an aggregator, a blog aggregator. So every podcast that I create, I create a blog. And the reason is because this blog aggregator, is it's called Q. So if you go to vpe.tv slash Q, U-U-U, three, my accent, three U's, three U's, vpe.tv tv slash q u u u it's a blog aggregator what it does is it allows you to upload your blog from your website and you say this is about podcasting marketing people log in for free to q and they say i want to know about blogs about podcasting marketing i don't have time to search the internet just give me quickly what i can do they can quickly either read it or share it to reddit facebook twitter or linkedin and or program it via hootsuite or whatever third-party software they're using you know for later it's really about blog discoverability so i can help you get discovered
discovered based on the topic, the content that you're talking about. Whereas I'm not focusing on your name or your podcast title or the, the rhythm of your episodes or your social media or any of the other things that we tend to focus on as like ways to get attention on the content that we're focused on. So for, for me, that blog aggregator is like, it's a great way to, I'm getting two to 2,000 to 2,500 shares on, on blog, on podcast episode blogs now, predominantly English speaking company uh, blogs, smaller blogs that are looking for the type of content that I'm putting out. So it's, it's connected to me to some cool people. And if you set up Google search for your name, like <clears throat> some people might do, then it's really cool to see how quickly people are, are able to, to, to amplify it. But that's me knowing that I have to amplify my content. So I have this stupid word. I don't even know if I'm going to say it anymore, but <laughs> I call it pre-purpose. Like so many of us focus on repurposing content. I want you to stop for a second, focus on the, this idea of, of pre-purposing. You know you're going to need a commercial for this podcast. You know you're going to need something viable to put out there somehow to make this interesting to people. It could come from this content naturally. It could come from maybe you having a repeat segment, you know, a final question or, or a game or something that, you know, you can clip out where you can, you know, sort, sort of service. You know how like the late night shows have these games that are unique to their, you know, James Corden has car carpool karaoke and then he owns that idea and then was able to turn that into its own TV show. Jimmy Fallon did it. Ellen did it. This is the model. This is a business model, a media model. This is the public sector of content getting into the social sector of content. The same way the social sector of content is always trying to get their little segments into the, the public sector, the news sector, morning shows and afternoon shows and evening news and, you know, uh, trends and pieces like this. So this idea of needing to be, you know, in, in multi-buckets is a big piece. And again, you do that with podcasting and it's mind-blowing. So, so discoverability without a doubt is you'd be amazed at how many actors decline awards because it doesn't take them in, you know, I don't want to want to be seen as outstanding, funny, you know, whatever some of those awards could be, you know, I want to be seen as leading. And if I have too many supporting, it's going to pigeonhole me as that. And when you have awards, look, also, by the way, speaking of awards, I love helping podcasters win awards there. You all are not applying for awards, which is the only reason why you all are not winning them. Promise you there are free podcast awards, not the ones that you have to pay for, even though I have nothing bad to say about some of the ones that you have paid for. I believe in paying for a jury and, and, I, and I'm surrounded by big media companies that are also paying that you have to pay. You have to pay for the Emmys. You have to pay to be in the Academy. Then you have to pay per producer that's attached to each project in each category. And by the way, it's like $170 per producer. They have to pay for this to quote unquote, thank you for my consideration. That's what that is. Consideration of my money for your time. Thank you for your consideration. Maron, these people. And again, no shame in applying for awards. I had, to, by the way, I had to apply for my Emmy award. Otherwise I wouldn't have won it. And that's how I won my Emmy award is 25 years later and being in TVs because I finally applied for it. And, and it was really cool to win meaningfully with the people that I won. By the way, helping people win awards, helping people get discovered, uh, helping people get paid. You know, uh, I, I love connecting brands, sponsors to independent podcasters. It's something I'm doing now that I call the Verified Podcast Exchange, where I'm helping brands understand the value that we have as podcasters with our couple of hundred downloads that everyone balks at. But I'm like, yo, a couple hundred people every single week is way way stronger relationship than a million tiktok followers last week i'm sorry i'm just gonna put that out there so okay i'm just i'm just trying to show you well while the money well you can get a decent price because us podcasters triple triple down quadruple down in creating content because it's literally free and it almost instantly earns value once you begin publishing it like there's nothing else that you work on by the way, but all this came from discoverability. It's really yeah. true. All of it. All of it is discovered. All of this types of media. Why are celebrities doing podcasts? Why are they writing books? Why all about discoverability? You know, how did Jessica Alba, how does she want to be seen? Is she turning down movies so that she can be seen as a, a more maternal role because she has this like lifestyle brand that, you know, and, and yeah, a thousand percent. Scarlett Johansson, Lindsay Lohan. I mean, I can go on and on and on about talent that have business ideas, business goals where discoverability is, is important. That being in a film, isn't going to get them. Being in the film is going to get them the, the actor tick, but being in the film and a music video, that bridges two audiences together. That builds community. That's the secret. <laughs> that it is. <laughs> 
I love that. And it's so interesting to hear that point about like, they never stop thinking about that. Like, that's the core thing that they're continually thinking about, even once they get famous about what they want to be known for, about how they want to continue to build their reach. And so interesting, because you think once they get famous, that like, it all goes away. You know, know, it's funny to say, so like, so people listening right now, I'll, I'll ask you what's, you know, when's the first time you saw Justin Timberlake. Some of them know he was an in sync. Some people are like the actor. <laughs> Some people are like the old boy band guy that does like which one? Some people are like, oh yeah, Justin. We're kind of like known for our last hit. And I hate to say this, but we really are known for our last hit. And casting, I would always repetitively tell people, I do everything once. I will do anything once. Happy to do it once. I'm not the same. I'm not a series guy. I don't want to get stuck to one project anymore. I really love beginning these projects. And I'm not going to begin the same project over and over again. So like I didn't cast mul- multiple franchises of Housewives, only Jersey. And I was like, that's it. One. That's it. I'm not going to, what, you want me to outdo myself? I'm not. What do you think? You, I see what y'all are trying to do. No, it's a big hit. I'm not going <laughs> to, this is my stamp. And this, and, but also I, I was in, I, I was in an early wave of reality TV where I was part of the conversation for a lot of firsts in certain types of TV shows. So I took that very, and I, I wanted to be the first for as many as possible. That was my goal. Be first. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. I never thought of that. You know, why who taught me that this is so fun i had to tell him funk master flex so weird funk master flex came to my office when i was like an mtv coordinator and he looked at my walls by the way it was so cool that i, I had an office that i had to do auditions in so i didn't really have a real office but, and he's like you don't have any plaques no top 50 no top 100 nothing no platinum plaques and i'm like no he's like i'm gonna give you your first i'm gonna give you your first you'll never forget it because you'll you'll never forget who gave you your first plaque ever and i remember being like okay yeah i dare you to give me like a music plaque and um, i'm in my guest room now but luckily have a tremendous amount of them um since then and the, from the good old years of pop culture the ashley simpson mandy Moore. Hillary Duff, Simple Plan, Good Charlotte. Like I go like on and on and on about now that's so 2004. <laughs> but just being first, that was a goal of mine, being first. By the way, you want to know a secret? Yeah. Just, just between us. And I really mean this between us um, and y'all listening. I'm doing it right now. I, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to do what I did at MTV now in podcasting. I'm trying to, when I got to MTV, just uh, Britney Spears was already viable. Christina Aguilera was just coming out. She was, I went to her showcase. So I remember her just coming out, uh, just Jessica Simpson was already there. There was stars in that female category, but we went with Mandy Moore, who was kind of the underdog and the sweet, non-traditional person you wouldn't think of on, on a cool, racy, you know, MTV. And then you got this sweet little sister sort of vibe going on there, mostly because of the relationship between Carson and Mandy. But that's just, you know, my inference of it. But just to be surrounded by, and I think of Mandy being a 15-year-old, a 16-year-old, a 17-year-old. We talked about this in our podcast too. I'm like, man, you got, you got, obviously you got taller because like I knew you when you were still growing, which we left. But like you literally stood up one year and like, then you were wearing heels and the shoulders were back. And I, I'm, I'm tall, I'm 6'3". I know what it's like to feel too tall, to feel too seen, to feel, you know, almost too much. Especially I can't imagine as a female in that space back then what it would feel like to be too anything because that's talk about the toxic you know media relationship with the female performers back you know too skinny too tall to to everything by the way you know that's why i was so proud that mtv did the osbournes because they were too crazy and jessica jessica was like getting picked on for like not being jessica like jessica was getting picked on because like uh her her pants popped when she was performing like at a ricky martin concert and like and to be honest it's like because the they're putting on pants that were too tight like just let her be her let her be her awesome curvy fucking awesome self and like not try to edit it but that was you know that was the game that was i even remember she on her she has a an album out i don't the one where i don't know if they're all just of her and her face but she, she was really mad at the label because they photocropped the hair way too much and she was she was always very sensitive about just like too too much overcropping and she where, where she could really show up herself and she's like so i approved it and i i saw the ear i knew it was wrong but like i'm like yeah i let that go because like i don't want people to think that's really who i am i want them to see that that's like not you know part of it and i was like that's really cool i never really thought that that's what i mean by deciding picking how you get discovered to be honest how did some people discover jessica simpson chicken tuna of the sea the newlyweds kind of put jessica in front of some people that weren't you know there before or maybe dukes of hazard you know or 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 or, or, or her song you know or, or music you know all the different audiences but so but we are we we tend to be known for our last for our last hits i'm, I'm sensitive about that too because i had a lot of big hits early in my career and a lot of those are four are in four three ratio not hd not even on instagram not even on youtube 
<laughs> you know, but that's where that's where podcasting falls into play. And that's why I love sharing some of these stories because I, I hope that people listening are like, oh my God, I was there. I watched that show. I remember. I remember when Mariah came to TRL with the ice cream and she needed to hand, hand out. By the way, my best friend, Christine, was a intern back then. She, Christine had to go around to all the stores in Times Square getting the ice cream. We had the ice cream cart, but we didn't have ice cream inside the ice cream carts. That's around Times Square buying up all the ice cream bars. But like just funny, you know, Kanye West calling my office, you know, saying he has an appointment with, with me, them thinking that he's like auditioning to be a VJ when he's there for MTV News and uh, and that scene even making it into the Kanye uh, docu, which I thought was fun. But like those like crazy stories, you know, you didn't have to be there to, to get to experience them because we felt so connected to those artists then. And, and if I can share any of my insights into what I saw and what I got to be a part of, then like I'm, I'm happy to, to shed a light on that side and also just find common ground with people who care about that type of content. Yeah, that's incredible. And I have a final question for you. So if you were to go back in time Mm -hmm. and talk to your 20 year old self, Mm -hmm. what would you want to tell him? Or if you want to tell him nothing at all, that's an option as well. Oh, is it? (laughs) Yeah, I would say, oh, that's interesting. I don't know. Um, That's a really interesting question. I was asked in my early 20s, I was asked if I would move to LA and TV wanted me to kind of move out there and, and do some things out there. I always thought that if I did that, my relationship within the industry would be different. And for sure, I know it have impacted the types of projects I worked on and, and what I ultimately did business-wise. But I think I love being a New Yorker more than I love being in entertainment. And I think that I love being in New York entertainment specifically, also because of nightlife and culture and 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 just and just the timing of me stepping into my own. I wouldn't say that it gets better because I think that it was great and it gets better and worse and better and worse, unfortunately. You know what I would say? I would say take more pictures. That's exactly what I, I had. Oh, I had every single, every week I had a different flip phone, Razor. That's my problem. I have all these pictures on these phones that I can't turn on anymore. I wish I took more photos. I wish I had, I wish I was, there was less shame involved in snapping those photos and, and doing things back then. Not for the sake of ego, but if I wanted to put a documentary together and, and talk about some of those, those moments, you know, remember the time we were at the, you know, the Prince showcase and there was three of us in the room and like, oh, it was like crazy moments that I could have taken a photo, but I was like, oh, the culture was different back then. You know, social media really stigmatized and destigmatized the the rate that we take photos of each other. Actually, yeah. And then not needing to pay for film (laughs) definitely helped. So I don't know. I I think I keep myself a little bit in suspense. Um, I'd say double down in technology. That's what I definitely would do. I would do that. At MTV in 2006, I put together this podcast plan for having a podcast department. They were like, it's not going to happen. We barely have a dot com. I tried and I was part of the MySpace team that decided not to buy MySpace. And then Nick Lachey wanted to create actually um, like a, a safe space for young Christian children, young Christians to teens to connect in a safe space. And like MTV wouldn't let me be a part of that because they said it conflicted with their social media goals. And I was like, you have no social media goals. We had no social media department when I left in 2006. I'm the guy who told Stephen Coletti and Lauren Conrad and Kristen Collett, I told them not to go on MySpace because if people see you on MySpace, then they're not going to watch the show because there was that that much of an impact on TV then. It's, it's changed a lot since, obviously. But they're always like, we're so grateful you told us not to do it because that was like one mistake we didn't make that we probably would have if like anyone else would have told us not to do it but you said you really don't trust me you really don't want to don't open up those doors but <laughs> but they went so i keep myself in suspense a bit but i definitely say double down in tech because mm. because I'm, I'm glad that those tech skills have come in come in handy it makes it's really cool now how many people understand the, the correlation between an excel spreadsheet guy and a, and a talent executive a casting director slash producer you know what would those two things have in common organization you know, creative organization, the promise of under, understanding how these things work together and could work together automatically. <laughs> when I said automatically, in a reality TV world, I was kind of thinking with, with alcohol. <laughs> you know, like, oops. <laughs> but, you know, such is life. <laughs> uh, I loved interviewing you today. Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you for that. It's fun. This is awesome. And you asked phenomenal questions. And uh, I really thank you for letting me kind of flood the memory gates. So I try I tried not to be boastful, but also really focus on, on what I learned. That's why I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. That's why this is important. That's why I created free framework. Uh, I have a free resource, a cr- free creator hub if, um, where I have access to all the awards that I talked about in my digital toolkit. So if you're looking to get verified on social media and I give you all the links and email addresses that I know 
if you're looking to pitch your content to news or get quoted, you know, I really make myself available to help creators be successful in the early part. And if, if y'all go to vpe.tv, I can help you out there or reach out to me on social. On LinkedIn, I respond back really quickly. I'll just say that. LinkedIn is, is my number one. So, but I really appreciate the space. Awesome. And where's the, um, where's the best place to find you? Where's the best place to connect with you? Uh, VPE.tv is the website. And then I'm at Vinnie Podestivo. It's a hell of a name. So just look up Sophia, look up the social, look up her friends. I'm in there. I'm the guy with the, I have like a pink picture. <laughs> Vinnie with the pink, Vinnie with the pink picture. But LinkedIn is really a great place to reach out. Um, I love working with friends also. Um, I'm not saying that I have to agree with everything that you believe in life. I'm not saying I only work with like-minded people. I get along with a lot of people who are not like-minded, but I do, I do value working with friends um, where we have a combined interest in our group success as well as our individual ones as well. So just start off with a hi. Hello, what's up? How you doing? <laughs> awesome. Thank you guys so much for listening. I love if you can leave me a review on iTunes. Please feel free to share it with any friends you think the story would resonate with. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.